0: Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90min. On this live edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at the game between Arsenal and Manchester United in the Premier League in a little bit more detail than that post-match reaction video I put out last night. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And, um... I've got to admit, I hated, I hated the fact that I couldn't do a podcast last night. I hated it because we've got used to in lockdown with not going to the games and, and, you know, sitting at home and watching them and kind of having everything at your fingertips immediately after the end of the game. I've, I've enjoyed bringing you the podcasts. Uh, with a little bit of a more raw reaction and I've enjoyed obviously uh, going into the games in a little bit more detail the next day but I've really enjoyed those match night podcasts if you like and I I couldn't do it yesterday, I was working, um, I was commentating on the game for vSYN out in the United States. Um, I know a few of you tuned into that so thank you uh, for your support. I did record a little post-match video in the studio while I was waiting to go on TalkSport and uh, and talk about the game, but it's not the same, is it? You know, you can't really dissect a game, um, you know, of that kind of magnitude um, or a game of that importance, a game of that significance in a three, four, five minute clip. So I wanted to do a full podcast. Unfortunately, by the time I get home from work on a Saturday, have something to eat, have a shower, whatever, it gets ridiculously late. Uh, so I thought I'd leave it till today. And um, on this edition, as I said, right at the top of the show, we're going to be digging into that Manchester United game a little bit more. We're going to be dissecting uh, some of the talking points, lots and lots, um, lots and lots to talk about, obviously, as there always is when it comes to Arsenal, Manchester United. And i I started jotting things down on my mobile phone on the train because I wanted to make sure that the things that were going through my mind immediately after the full time whistle didn't just escape me overnight. I didn't forget them. And then I wasn't able to then share them with you guys on the podcast. So I made a few notes uh, on my phone on the way home. So if you see me glancing at my phone during this show, that is why Um, had quite a bit of reaction on Twitter to the the player ratings. Uh, that went out. That was our site editor, Jay Bayford. Um, he controls and and takes over the Twitter during matches. Uh, so if you want to debate those ratings with with Jay, feel free to do so. But don't send me fifteen DMs because I got a load of DM requests during the night last night, um, questioning some of those ratings. And and listen, it's a game of opinions. You know, people will see the game uh, slightly differently to others. But it wasn't me on the Twitter, so I can't. Give you any answers as to as to why Jay went with some of the ratings he did. Um, so if you want to um, have that debate, have that discussion, get following, uh, follow Jay. Um, I tagged him in a Chronicles of Aguna tweet uh, in which I, I kind of said that uh, late last night. So give him a give him a bit of a follow and have a look and see uh, what what Jay is saying, and you can debate those with Jay uh, because I've. As I said, I, I can't speak for Jay on the player ratings, but I did have a load of DMs during the night and I was I was sitting there looking at him and I was like, I don't know what to say to you because at the time I hadn't even seen the player ratings. i had been so busy getting home from work and, and you know, settling down and, and chilling out. I kind of wanted to stay away from my phone. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's discuss the game. Nil-nil draw and you know, it was a, a far better spectacle, I think, than the scoreline suggested. I've spoken to a few sort of non-Arsenal fans, friends of mine, sort of between last night's game and now, and they've kind of been like, oh, Arsenal, Man United, it just doesn't deliver anymore. Um, you know, nil-nil draw, it's boring, um, not very entertaining, et cetera, et cetera. I actually thought it was a uh, I actually thought it was a decent game. I actually thought it was a really, really decent watch. Obviously, from an Arsenal perspective, we were rocked by the news um, an hour before kickoff that Bukayo Saka wasn't available. We knew that Kieran Tierney was touch and go. uh, Delighted to see Smith-Rowe and Partey both in the side. Apart from the Saka thing, the team I picked in the preview show was was exactly right. Couldn't have known that Saka was going to be unavailable, but the eleven uh, was correct apart from that one change that was enforced upon Mikel Arteta. And I think a lot of us kind of feared at that point: uh, would we would we be able to create chances? Would we have as much threat in the attacking areas without Bukayo Saka because he's been so so key of late? He scored four goals and provided two assists in his last six Arsenal appearances in the Premier League. So, you know, you, you could be could have been forgiven for feeling a little bit downbeat at the fact that we were without him and we were without Kieran Tierney, of course. Now, before we we get into the kind of ins and outs, let's say a big uh, good morning. It's actually just turned afternoon here uh, in the UK, but a big hello to, to those of you that are joining us live, to Clement, one of our members, uh, to Steve Stone, who says global greetings, fellow Gooners, to Omar. Uh, to Graham Sutherland, who says you need to have a word with Martin Tyler and the stadium announcer, uh, De Gore. They obviously weren't pronouncing the name right. I've got to say, in my commentary, I was I had to keep sort of pausing when I wanted to say his name because I wanted to make sure I got it right. Having uh had the pleasure of of inviting or of being joined by Jonas Javel on the show the other day, I felt like it would be almost disrespectful to get it wrong after he uh spent some time showing me and teaching me and and all of you guys as as well how we're supposed to pronounce it uh big hello to ale to alejandro who joins us from brooklyn new york how you doing mate to tell uh to bruno to anton uh what else have we got here um to brad richardson uh to alfred to steffi another one in nyc uh big hello steffi how you doing says hi harry good morning from nyc uh harry's in cyprus says good morning harry are you greek or cypriot uh cheers from nicosia i was born in the uk but my parents are cypriot yes um visit Cyprus every year. It's the place to be. Uh, so big hello to everyone in Cyprus, in uh, in Nicosia joining us at the moment. Uh, big hello to Gary, to Marco, to Femi and to Tony as well. I'll come back to uh, some more of, of your comments in a little bit, but let's let's get into the game. You know, the team selection, Mikel Arteta was, was, was stuck, wasn't he? He had to go with the team that he went with. I actually thought um, it, it was a pretty solid selection. Um, I thought, going through some of the individual performances, I thought Burn Leno uh, had a really good game again, made a really good save in particular, that one from Fred uh, from the edge of the box, because I thought that was bound for the top corner. Um, so really, really enjoyed that save from Burn Leno. And again, he was solid. Um, his distribution is is getting better, I think. Um, and I think he's, he's played his way back to sort of top form which is which is brilliant you know there were a few moments at the beginning of the season where Bern Leno had made a couple of mistakes and of course all that rhetoric began about did we sell the wrong goalkeeper but Bern Leno for me is in excellent form right now Hector Bellerin played at right back and and I'm not gonna I'm gonna give you my player ratings during this show so bear with me but we'll just quickly um no, you know what? Let's do it at the same time. It makes sense, doesn't it? Rather than going back over the same ground. So Burn Leno, um, I'm going to give Bern Leno a 7 out of 10. Um, I thought, as I said, he made some really, really good saves. Looked assured in pretty much everything he did. Hector Bellerin, I'm going to give him a 7. Um I've seen some Arsenal fans on social media giving him a hard time again, in particular about the fact that he takes up this kind of inverted position uh, when Arsenal have the ball. Make no mistake about it, right? Hector Bellerin, prior to to Mikel Arteta coming to the club, never did that. Okay, he never did that. It wasn't a a Wenger tactic. It wasn't an Emery tactic. In fact, Emery was the complete opposite. Emery was desperate for his fullbacks to go on the overlap and go on the outside of people. That's what, um, what Hector Bellerin was instructed to do under previous management. Now it's very much a feature of Arsenal's game for one of the fullbacks to tuck into that inverted position. I think when you play Bellerin on the right and Cedric on the left, it becomes a little bit too narrow because with Bellerin doing it and then Cedric naturally doing it because obviously he's playing on the wrong side, I think you get, um, you you lose that width that the fullbacks bring you and like Kieran Tierney brings you, for example, when he's in the side. So I take on board the point that, you know, maybe... Uh, they were a bit too narrow in, in in what they did, the fullbacks. But I also think having narrow fullbacks when you lose the ball um, makes it easier to defend because you get back in shape quicker. You can defend the width of your penalty area, which I think is key and, and should be the first port of call. So in my opinion... Um, Yeah, Hector Hector Bellerin did what his manager asked of him and and continues to do what his manager asks of him. And I know there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there that don't like him and and are looking for any kind of excuse to have a go at him. I don't think you really can based on yesterday's performance. Um, Cedric, I'm going to give Cedric a seven uh, as well. A couple of moments where he gave the ball away. didn't really bomb on as much as he did at Southampton, but obviously the the level of opposition was was very different. Uh, the fact that Marcus Rashford was out there, he's got a great deal of pace. Aaron Wan-Bissaka actually was getting forward a fair bit as well. Um, so I can understand why, why Cedric was a little bit more conservative. I thought he defended well for the most part. A couple of moments I was kind of not completely impressed with, but ultimately... Um, you've got to remember he's a right-back playing at left-back. And for that reason, uh, I think you have to give him a decent rating for for the level of performance that he turned in. David Lewis, for me, was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. He read everything Manchester United did, um, you know, in terms of putting balls into the penalty area. Knows uh, Edinson Cavani very, very well. And when you think about Edinson Cavani, for me, you know, one of the the best things about him is his movement. I think in terms of being a world-class striker, I think Edinson Cavani, I think he's world-class. But in terms of hitting that top, top bracket, I think what he misses is the fact that he's not always that clinical in, in the right positions. I know he scored a lot of goals in France, but he had a hell of a lot of opportunities playing in that really strong PSG side in what is ultimately not a very strong league overall. Um, but I just thought that to deal with the movement of Edinson Cavani is, is a really tall order. It's a really hard task. And I think that David Luiz did that exceptionally well. Obviously he knows the player they've played together previously. You caught them uh, when there was a few stoppages, kind of uh, enjoying a little bit of a chit chat. So the pair obviously know each other. Um, and and I think that probably helped David Lewis in terms of being able to defend effectively against Edinson Cavani. But I thought he'd done a fantastic job. And some people may say it's overboard. I think a 9 out of 10 uh, is excellent, uh, is an excellent display. To get a 10 out of me is is very unlikely. So 9 is is almost as good as you're going to get. And I thought that David Lewis was that good yesterday and justified his selection. You know, I put him in my team in the preview show. And there were a lot of you commenting, saying uh, that you'd rather see Gabriel play. I think David Lewis was, was fantastic and, and repaid the manager's faith in him. Um, Let's go with uh, Rob Holding. Uh, I'm going to give Rob Holding an eight. Um, I'll give Rob Holding an eight because I thought he was sensational alongside David Lewis. No thrills with Rob Holding. You know, there's nothing spectacular. He's not going to carry the ball out of defence and play a defence split pass and set your winger away. But what Rob Holding did was he defended the penalty area, I thought, excellently. Every ball that came in, if it wasn't Louise, it was Rob Holding. They were immense in the work that they did to deny this Manchester United attack, which is a very good attack, by the way. Um, and, and I thought they were, you know, the pair of them at centre-back were, were brilliant I thought that David Lewis just stood out a little bit more for me. Uh, It's not to take away anything from from Rob Holding, but David Lewis stood out just a little bit more. And that's why he gets a a, a higher uh, rating for me. Um, I love this from Graham. Uh, He says a nine is fair enough. Oops, I clicked on the wrong comment. Uh, Talking about David Lewis's performance. He deserves it just for the celebration when he blocked the free kick. Yeah, I mean, how nice is it to see? How nice is it to see the... You know, the, the players actually being passionate about defending, you know, we, we, for years and years and years at Arsenal, we've not really seen that. We've seen a bit of a half-hearted approach when it comes uh, to defending. Whereas David Luiz, you know, you could see he felt every block, every challenge, every header uh, was something to be proud of and, and to celebrate. So I really um, I really uh, enjoyed uh, his performance and that's why I've given him a nine. Um Lots of you praising Rob Holding in the chat as well. Um, Marco Williams asked the question, why does Rob Holding not get an England call-up? If he carries on the way he's going, then I wouldn't be surprised if he does get one in the near future. Gareth Southgate was at the game yesterday. Uh, Probably didn't really think he'd be going to watch Rob Holding, but Rob Holding was excellent and and deserves a look in for sure. Uh, Roy Aberdeen says, Holding seems to be a first-choice centre-back now. Yeah, And he's earned that, hasn't he? Because he has been that good. he has been that good of late. You know, I've really, really enjoyed his performances and he's, he's shown Mikel Arteta that he can trust in him. And that's why you see him, Rob Holding, continue to be selected and developing with each passing week. Uh, Steve Stone also agrees he's gone with an eight on Holding. Um, Chris says, uh, agree, Rob had another great performance, but he needs to do better with his headers towards goal. I agree with that. Um, I, I do agree with that. Um you know i think in the opposition penalty area he can do a little bit more because he does get on the end of things he just doesn't necessarily uh take advantage of those situations uh first step sports psych says we almost lost holding yes a really really good point you know we almost lost rob holding um you know to a, to a loan deal to newcastle at the end of the transfer window so obviously delighted that that didn't happen because He's proving his worth at the moment. A uh, big shout out to the Blind Guna uh, for his very kind super chat donation. He says, I think it was a good point at home under the circumstances. Let's not forget we had key players missing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail a little bit later on. Big hello to Thomas as well, who's joining us. And he says, smash the like button, people. Make sure uh, you do if you have not done so already. Let's move into the midfield. Granite Xhaka. I know I get a lot of stick on this channel because a lot of people say, oh, you love Granit Xhaka. You love Granit Xhaka. He can do no wrong in your eyes. Um, And Granit Xhaka with each passing week, particularly alongside Thomas Partey, I think is proving his worth. Again, another outstanding performance in this Arsenal team. Xhaka gets a nine for me. I thought he was brilliant in everything he did. He was physical. He was winning balls back. He was blocking people off. He was committing fouls when he needed to commit fouls. He stood up for his teammate Cedric um, after that kind of little clash with Bruno Fernandez again, showing that he's a team player that he loves uh, the group and he's very much a, a leader. Um, never shying away from from incident. Not always a, a good thing with Granit shackle. We've seen it get him into hot water before. But I was really impressed by his performance, and I also think that. You know, the fact that he is playing with Thomas Partey has obviously elevated his game even further because he's playing alongside an absolute beast of a central midfielder. And as Russ points out in the comments, Xhaka had a 96% pass completion. He was better than Partey yesterday. I agree with that. Um, Xhaka had a night. Again, Chris points it out. Xhaka had a 96% pass completion rate. Tommy O'Donoghue, Xhaka was man of the match. Fantastic. So lots of you... Uh, Back in Granite, Jacker, and I'm assuming agreeing with my rating of nine out of ten. Uh, Thomas Partey, this is a hard one because I didn't think Thomas Partey had his greatest game in an Arsenal shirt yesterday, but he was still super effective. If I'm going to give Burn Leno a seven, I'm going to give Partey a seven as well. It's um, not to say he wasn't very good. I thought he was very, very good in terms of breaking up Manchester United attacks dropping in uh, attack sorry dropping into the right positions progressing the ball as well um you know in 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 certain moments he was whenever he received the ball at his feet he was always looking for Mill smith row played it forward into his feet on on occasions i can see some of you in the chat saying that he was shocking um worst game he's played for arsenal that his passes were really poor overall for me it wasn't as bad um, as some people are making out, but I, I acknowledge that it wasn't Thomas Partey's best game. But just because of his f- sheer um, physicality, because of his athleticism and just his awareness to cover the right spaces uh, when Arsenal lose the ball, I'm going to give him a solid seven. I don't think there was anyone in the Arsenal team, actually, yesterday um, that that didn't deserve a seven. You know, so I might have spoiled the rest of it. Actually, actually, there was one. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's what I'm going with for Thomas Partey. Seven out of 10. Moving forward into Emil Smith-Rowe, I'm going to give Emil Smith-Rowe a seven as well. Um, didn't really influence the game as much as he would have liked. But, um, you know, you got to bear in mind as well that he was a doubt for this one. Was he fully fit? Same can be said um, of, uh, of Thomas Partey. Um, just, just putting a pin in that for a minute, lots of you are not happy with my uh, Bern Lennon rating of seven. He, he made the saves that I expect him to make. As I said, I pointed out one um, really good stop that caught my eye, but I think the rest of the saves that he made, I think he should have made. So that's why, I, that's why I've gone with that, that uh, rating. Um, Smith Rowe, seven, because I didn't think he influenced the game as much as he would have liked. I felt like there were lulls in his performance. So there were times where he was really involved and there were times where, um, he kind of went missing for a little bit, not his fault, just Arsenal in general, just weren't, uh, breaking away effectively. And, then Emile Smith-Rowe did play some good passes, uh, in particular to Nicolas Pepe on that right flank in the, uh, first half. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought Emile Smith-Rowe, uh, did okay, solid performance, not again, similarly to Partey, wasn't bad for me, but wasn't at his the absolute peak of his powers. And, and you know, you've got to remember as well that when you start the game and, and Manchester United play with that defensive midfield pivot of Fred and McTominay, uh, they're very much looking to shut out somebody like Emile Smith-Rowe. And that's where you've got to be creative as a football team. You've got to move uh, things to the other side. Um, you know, you've got to make things happen um, in terms of sort of other areas of the pitch and you've got to try and make things work. You know, yeah, seven for me, uh, for for Smithrow. As I said to you, nine is the absolute top whack for me. So seven is still a very good rating, uh, in my opinion. On the left-hand side, Gabriel Martinelli, I, I didn't think he really had a good game in that first half. And I think that was reflected by the fact that that Mikel Arteta hooked him off at half time. We thought at the time that it may have been an injury concern. Mikel Arteta revealed after the game actually it was a tactical decision. And it was the right decision because I thought Willian probably turned in his best performance for Arsenal since the opening day of the season. I thought he was effective. I thought he made things happen on the left, created a really good opportunity for uh Pepe on the edge of the box. Of course, uh, he had an opportunity of his own, which I've seen him get a lot of stick for missing. But actually, from that angle, all he could really do was go back across the goal. And if the defender has done his his bit in terms of blocking that angle, which Wan-Bissaka did, we know wan Bissaka's is a very good one-on-one defender, then I don't think you can give Willian too much stick for that. Could he have got more conviction in the shot? Could he have been a little bit quicker? Would a more confident Willian have hit it first time? Perhaps, but I think the the criticism of Willian was a little bit harsh when you consider other players missed opportunities as well. Martinelli, though, I'm going to give Martinelli a six. Worked hard. There was one bit of defending uh, in that first period that I thought was absolutely outstanding uh, where he ran back and he kind of sussed out a bit of danger, didn't he? Um, where Manchester United had an overload on the right hand side and he burst back with real energy and he got there and made a crucial header, conceded a corner, um, but did did a lot of, of good defensive work, Gabriel Martinelli, but didn't really impact the game in the final third. And the only way you can kind of judge that is based on what Nicolas Pepe did on the other side. I thought Nicolas Pepe did more. Um, you know, Nicolas Pepe, for me, I'm going to give Pepe an eight because I thought, although he probably should have scored a goal, I thought he constantly made things happen. He made Manchester United uh, have to think twice about pushing up the pitch. He, he was, You can see he's playing with a swagger, with a confidence, uh, very tricky on the edge of the penalty area. He must have done about seven or eight step overs uh, before he got that shot off in the first half. Um had another effort in the second half that went agonisingly close uh, to going into that far corner. So I thought Nicolas Pepe uh, had a really, really good impact on the game. Um, And as I said, I've been saying it for weeks, Nicolas Pepe is very much a confidence player, uh, somebody that I think uh, has the talent, but just we need to find a way of, of tapping into that. I would have liked to have seen him play on the left-hand side and I would have liked to have maybe seen him switched to the left-hand side when Aaron Wan-Bissaka was on a yellow card because I felt like if anyone in the Arsenal team had the pace and the the physicality as well as the trickery and the talent to really get the former Crystal Palace defender in hot water and potentially get him sent off, I thought Nicolas Pepe was that man. Uh, So yeah, I would have liked to have seen Uh, Nicolas Pepe maybe switched over there just temporarily in that second period. It wasn't to be, but I still think he had a very good game. Uh, Alexander Lacazette. um, I'm going to give Alexander Lacazette just on the basis that I've given the same rating to Smith Rowe and to Leno. I'm going to give Lacazette a seven. Um, Worked very hard up front, um, you know, as he always does. Very, very unlucky with that free kick. Uh, to see that coming back off the crossbar. Actually, when um, Arsenal were were lining up to take that free kick and Shaka was there and and Pepe was there, I think William might have been there as well. He was actually the the last player I expected to strike it, but he did really, really well. It was so unlucky uh, not to come off the crossbar and go in. You know, David De Gea was rooted to the spot. But on the basis of I've got to be consistent in my ratings in terms of what I've given... Uh, Burn Leno Smith Rowe, for example. That's why I give uh Lacazette a seven. I'm going to give a rating to Willian as well. Um, I'm going to give Willian a uh an eight. I'm going to give Willian an eight for that second half display. I know it was only a 45 minute period. I know he missed that chance, but I thought he made things happen. I thought he worked very very hard as well. I feel a little bit sorry for Martinelli. You know, I'm just looking at that on my screen now, and and kind of looking around, and you know. Yes, I think some of you probably feel that Burn Leno deserves an eight. Um, as I said, I've, I've given my reasons already. Seven uh, is by no means a bad rating. I think some of you feel Smith Rowe maybe deserves a little bit more. The only one I'm looking at and thinking it's a little bit harsh maybe is Martinelli. But, you know, he just wasn't involved in an attacking sense whatsoever. And, I, you know, I totally appreciate it. It was because he was forced back a lot. Um, I totally appreciate that. He was doing a job for the team, uh, but I've got to go with with my gut. And uh, that was my rating for Gabriel Martinelli. So those are my player ratings for the game uh, against Manchester United. A couple of other things uh, that certainly warrant uh, discussing, I thought, were the, was the balance of the team. Uh, I thought the balance of the team was really, really good. I thought when Mikel Arteta came in, when we played these type of fixtures, the games against the so-called uh, big sides, I thought that... We, um, I, I thought that we were a little bit too defensive. I thought we were a little bit too focused on defensive, uh, systems and shapes. And maybe we, we allow, we let that, um, you know, I, I guess prevent us being a little bit brave in certain instances, in certain occasions. Um, but I thought that yesterday, Mikel Arteta got the balance absolutely spot on. The team had the right balance. The performance showed the defensive solidarity, which is, is something that you cannot deny. Mikel Arteta has uh, has brought to the side. He's he's definitely improved us in that department. But we also created enough enough chances as well. Um we also created enough chances as well. So I thought the balance was absolutely spot on and it's nice to see uh, Mikel finally striking that kind of middle ground that sees us able to compete um, in terms of creating opportunities, but also prevents us conceding silly sloppy goals. So that's a, a big thing for me. And that's probably the bi- biggest compliment I can give the Arsenal performance yesterday, that it was properly balanced. Um, and I think balance in a football team is is so, so important. Um, I can see a few of you in the chat not happy with the Willian rating, and that's absolutely fine. But that, what I will say is this, you need to get over uh, the fact that Willian has been playing poorly of late and look at that 45 minutes in isolation. That's what I'm doing. That's the only fair way to judge this. We're not giving Willian a performance rating for his season giving Willian a performance rating for the 45 minutes of football that he played against Manchester United on Saturday evening. And he was very, very good, very influential, made things happen, worked very hard. Just forget about what he's done in the past. That's not what we're doing here. We're rating Willian based on what he did in that second 45 minutes. He was much better than Gabriel Martinelli was. I know everybody loves Martinelli, me included, but there's no shying away from the fact that Willian did more to influence the game. It's that simple, you know. People talking about Thomas Partey, seven's too high for Thomas Partey. I think you're missing the, ma- the the big point here, which is that Granit Xhaka's game elevates with Thomas Partey next to him. That is what that is what pushes Granit Xhaka from being, in my opinion, a good midfielder to a very good midfielder. The the fact that he's got the right partner next to him. So you can talk about Thomas Partey giving the ball away a couple of times, getting caught in possession a couple of times, but actually just him being on the pitch is a massive influence on the players around him. In particular, that man next to him, Granite Xhaka, who earned a 9 out of 10, in my opinion, was absolutely fantastic. Arguably Arsenal's man of the match yesterday. Again, not for the first time in recent weeks. And uh, yeah, so that's why I'm not sitting here giving Partey a shit rating because you can say whatever you want about him maybe giving the ball away on a couple of occasions. His pure athleticism and ability to take up the right places on the pitch when we lose the ball and, you know, and various other things, you know, his experience, his his tactical nous, all of those things make the players around him far better. He also protects not just the the centre-backs, but he protects the full-backs really well as well. I think he's an excellent player. And I think that when he came in, admittedly, I was one of the people that was like, yeah, you know, it's the physicality that he'll bring us that we've really been missing. But actually, what he's also brought to the table is a real good tactical understanding. And it it was silly of me not to realise that um, earlier because, you know, having played under Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid, a very solid side, you know, I shouldn't be surprised by that. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Uh, right. That's my player ratings. Let's uh, let's move on from that. Um, let's talk. Let's address the, the the Bruno Fernandes incident because. You know, there's been a lot of debate about this and I've watched it back. I watched it during my commentary. Um, you know, I watched it when I got home. I've watched it again this morning and there is no way that that was not a red card. I'm sorry, you, you know, when you look back at what we've seen red cards given for over the course of this season, when you think about how high up on Granite Xhaka's leg Bruno Fernandes um, makes contact, it's, a, it's, it's, first of all, you know, I can't believe that the VAR's looked at that and not advised the referee to go and have a look himself. But then, you know, I shouldn't be surprised. It's Manchester United. It's Manchester United. That's the way it works. You know, Bruno Fernandes can go around the pitch doing whatever he wants because he's in a Man United shirt. I guarantee you, had Granite Xhaka done that challenge or made that challenge on Bruno Fernandes, had it been the roles reversed the other way around, Granite Xhaka would have walked. And that's the difference. It's really, really frustrating. It's a horrible challenge. And as, uh, as, as Tell points out in the chat, You know, Xhaka should have rolled around. Xhaka should have gone down and been a little bit more streetwise, actually, and drawn a little bit more attention to that incident. Because for me, that is a horrible challenge. He he catches him high up the leg and almost scrapes down the back, um, you know, to his Achilles. It's a horrible, horrible challenge. And you know, I, I can't, I can't believe that not only did he not get sent off for it, he escaped any punishment whatsoever. He didn't even get booked for it. It is disgusting, you know. And I think. You know, he's uh, he's committed other things on the pitch, other, you know, I don't want to say crimes, but you know what I mean? Um, I thought in that incident with Cedric, where Cedric went up, I know he had his arm out, but you need your arm out to jump. Wasn't intentional. The two Portuguese teammates, he should have known better than to react like that. Bruno Fernandes gives Cedric a shove. And that's absolutely fine because it's Bruno Fernandes. That's two yellow card incidents for Manchester United's most influential player. But it's not looked at. It's not dealt with because it's Manchester United. And I know I, maybe I sound a little bit biased here. I don't care because I've been, you know, following Arsenal for years and years and years. And throughout that time, Manchester United have always, always gotten away with refereeing decisions. And, you know, it's like you have to play against 11 plus the referee every time you come across them. You know, we got a penalty at Old Trafford earlier in the season, and it's only because it was a stonewall penalty. Um. You know, and I couldn't believe my luck. That's how rare it is to get a decision against Manchester United. You know, for me, disgraceful decision. And the whole reason we bought in VAR was to deal with incidents like that. So I'm really disappointed um, that they've not they've not dealt with that incident. Really disappointed. Harry Land also points out that Harry Maguire was really lucky. The foul before the lack of free kick should have been his first yellow card. Really annoying. Yeah, agreed. But it's Manchester United, isn't it? And they'll get away with shit like that. That's what winds me up. Um, Yeah, lots of you pointing that out. Ray as well. Maguire should have gotten a yellow card before he finally got it. Yeah, agreed. Um, You know, with that one, I I I do agree with you. But I just think with the Bruno Fernandes incident, and the reason I focused on that one is because for me, there is absolutely no debate. You cannot go around the football pitch making challenges like that and get away with it scot-free. So I was furious at that, absolutely livid about it at the time. Um, And having watched it back, my mind has not changed whatsoever. Spoke quite a bit about... Um, the balance of the side and the fact that we were able to defend effectively but also attack and create chances and if you think of all the opportunities we created you know there was the one william missed there was the there was a couple from nicholas pepe um from from that cutting inside onto to that left foot of his you know the the lacazette free kick the emil smith Rowe one as well let's not forget that took the ball down on his chest probably should have done better kind of hit it straight at um David De Gea made it a very, very comfortable save for the Spaniard. I just think, look, the balance was was good. It's plenty to take encouragement from. The fact that we were without Tierney, that we were without Saka, who's been uh, very important. The fact that we were without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, you know, three really key players to this Arsenal side. All things considered... I think it was a very good point. And I said it, didn't I? Before the Southampton game, if we took four points from the upcoming fixtures, I'd have been absolutely delighted. And I am delighted. And I'm what I'm most pleased about, though, from yesterday is not even the result, it's the performance, because I thought the performance was good. Yes, Edinson Cavani missed a couple of really guilt-edged opportunities, um, but our performance warranted us having a little bit of luck on the day. Um, you know, I've seen people actually slate Cavani for that second one that he missed. But actually, when you watch that back, the ball into the penalty area is actually played behind him. I think he just does well to to get his foot on it and divert it in the right direction anyway, let alone um you know, criticize him for the fact that it went a few inches wide. As I said earlier, I think his movement is is some of the best movement you'll see from a centre forward. If you're a young centre forward growing up learning to play the game, and you want to watch someone for movement, Edinson Cavani is the man. And I thought that Holding and, and David Lewis dealt with him so, so well. Um, and that's another real encouragement. What is it? We've conceded one goal in our last eight. Is that right? I think so, off the top of my head. I think going into the game yesterday, it was one in seven. So yeah, conceded one goal in our last eight. How can people tell me that Mikel Arteta has not improved this Arsenal side? He has. He has improved this Arsenal side. And now we're starting to find the balance between defence and attack. And we're becoming a far more um, threatening outfit at that end of the pitch as well. So we're certainly moving in the right direction. Big game coming up against Wolves on Tuesday night. And I want to have a little bit of a rant about the fixtures because I think the fixtures list is is ridiculous. You know, the Premier League have dealt with this season atrociously. I know that we're going through some strange times and I know that there's a need to get the season completed by a certain date, I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, But what I'm not fine with is them whole, the whole bullshit of, you know, we're we're doing this the way we're doing it so that the fans can watch their team because they can't go to the games. As an Arsenal fan, you could put Arsenal's game at 3pm on Saturday at the same time as all the other nine fixtures of the weekend and I would pick the Arsenal game. If you're a fan of a club, you will watch that game, won't you? You know, and, and that way, for example 3pm saturday kickoffs all 10 fixtures are played with there are enough channels now for them to televise all of them and you can choose which one you want um all the saturday fixtures 3pm all the midweek fixtures wednesday 7:45 that way you give every team a fair amount of time to to prepare and recover in between their, their fixtures you don't have situations where managers are being forced into rotating players and playing weak sides because what that does is it it makes it damages people's chances of achieving what they're supposed to achieve it also damages the spectacle of the Premier League because the games are not being played to the standard that they should be had you had you know fitter sharper players I just think that right now for Arsenal and and I'm using Arsenal as an example but there are lots of other clubs in the Premier League that are suffering from this but for Arsenal to have to play on Saturday evening and then on Tuesday and then have a long break between Tuesday and Saturday till the next game. Why don't we just play the Wolves game on the Wednesday and have an equal break on either side of the games? It, it doesn't make sense. You know, the whole thing is a mess. Why have we got, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? Why have we got two games cramped in on four days and then we don't play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Spread it out a bit. Be clever, be smart, give the players and the managers the best opportunity to achieve the results that they should be achieving instead of making it difficult for people. And the injuries to Saka, to Tierney, you know, those situations, the the party breaking down last week, Smith-Rowe as well, it's because we're asking too much of players in a short space of time. So I think that they can do this in a much better way, a much more effective way, but they're not doing it because as always, it's all about TV revenue. It's all about money. Um, It isn't for the fans. um, You know, it is for the money men. And and it's always been like that, but I just wish they would stop dressing it up as though they're doing us all a favor. You know, I I don't care if Burnley are playing Sheffield United on a Thursday night. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. I couldn't care less. I also accept that as Chris points out, um, that, you know, the TV companies are paying the bills at the moment because of the lack of fans. I get that. And I know the clubs are um, are kind of slaves to it. But for me, the Premier League here have a responsibility to protect the welfare of their players. We hear an awful lot right now, don't we, about protecting the players from COVID, from injuries, from concussions, from racism, from all these different things, which is are all a hundred percent justified. You know, we should be protecting the players from all of those things. So why not protect them from burnout when you have the power to do that? That's what winds me up. Also want to just quickly touch on the the racist abuse that Marcus Rashford received after that game uh, yesterday. What a fucking disgrace. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, accountability. You've got to make the people on social media that are doing these things accountable for it. You've got to identify them. You've got to... Set up some kind of verification process whereby when they behave like that, the authorities can go and find them like that instead of people hiding behind VPNs and anonymous Twitter accounts. It's the only way you're going to stop that. It's the only way you're going to deal with it. You have to get harsh. You have to punish people and you have to find a way of tracking down who these people are. The technology is out there. We know it is. So use it, do it and stop it happening because, you know, as as Jermaine Genus pointed out on Match of the Day, I don't normally agree with Jermaine Genus, but... You know, there have been some people who say, why do the players still take to the knee before the game? You know, that ship's kind of sailed a little bit. Well, actually, it obviously hasn't because on the back of the back of that game, we've seen it happen again. So, yeah. Um, What else have we got? Let's uh, you know what, let's go over to the chat box, get your questions in uh let's see what you guys are saying let's see what uh your what questions you want to ask uh for the last sort of 10 minutes of the show just a quick reminder as well um if you haven't already make sure you smash the like button make sure you subscribe as well uh, to the channel it's very very important uh i was having a discussion the other day actually with someone as to why we say smash the like button and not just the not just hit, press the like button it's it's actually a really good point it's just a habit Um, I've gotten into, I can't get out of. But on YouTube alone right now, there are over 225 of you watching us live. We've only got 66 likes. So let's take that up a notch. Um, Let's get that at least to 100 uh, between now and the end of the stream. As you know, as I've said it many, many times. Uh, Likes are so, so important on this platform. They help push the video up the rankings. They help the SEO um, and they help it come up in in people's recommended lists as well. Uh, And that will get more eyes on the channel, more eyes on the podcast. So make sure if you haven't done that already, you please do so. It is so, so important. Let's get up to 100 um, between now and the end of the stream. I think we're about what 22 short right now. I've just seen a few come in. Now we're on 80. Let's get up to you know what? Let's push it to 120. There's enough of you watching. Let's do that. Um, all right, keep 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 plugging away with that. Let's uh, let's quickly remind you of how you can become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel. Uh, lots of you have joined up already. Really, really appreciate your support. We have some great debates and discussions in the Discord server, and there'll be another piece of members only content dropping your way this week. Uh, information to be announced. On that one. So uh, if you want to become a member and support the channel, click on the link in the description and you can check out the three tiers and decide which, if any, of those appeal to you. Also, we'll be hosting a fans' phone in show tonight at 9 p.m. Going to put out a tweet as soon as I finish from this stream. Uh, Don't forget, if you want to get involved, DM me at Chronicles underscore AFC on Twitter and we'll get through as many of your calls as we possibly can. First come, first served. Uh, So make sure you get in there nice and early. Equally, um, I just want to equally, well, I also want to remind you, I should say, uh, of the show uh, that we've got coming or the shows that we've got coming up tomorrow. So we've got uh, a midday one, of course, as usual. uh, And of course, we are going to be bringing you a uh, live podcast at 9pm with the brilliant Adrian Clark. Adrian returns to the Chronicles of Aguna. So very much looking forward to chatting to him uh, as well. So make sure you've got your notifications turned on. And you don't miss that one. Uh, right, let's go over to your questions. Louis Robson says, was a draw a fair result? I wanted us to win badly, but it is what it is. I think it probably was. You know, Mikel Arteta alluded to that as well. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer felt the opposite. He felt that Man United probably edged it. What I would say is, I think, the you know, the best chance of the game fell to Edinson Cavani. So I understand why. Manchester United made me feel like that. But from our perspective, I thought we created enough uh, to say that we deserve to win the game. Also defended well enough and overall display was was of a very high standard. So for me, um, I think it was just about a fair result. Yeah, just about. Uh, What else have we got here? Uh, Let's see what else you guys are saying. Uh, Tommy O'Donoghue says, Harry, after recent results, how high do you think we can climb in this table before the season ends? Look, A lot of people will say that that looking at the top four is still a little bit overambitious and still a little bit far-fetched. I agree that it's not very likely. Um, I think we're more likely to finish in the top six. But while it's there, while the possibility is there, that has to be Arsenal's aim, doesn't it? So when people say that this club is all about losing mentality, um, but then by the same token, sit there and go, oh, well, the top four is not on. It is on. Mathematically, it is on. So why not aim for it? Why not push for it? Realistically, I think at the moment that Arsenal will probably still fall a little bit short of of the Champions League. And it's not because I don't think we're good enough. It's because of the issues that we're facing now. We're talking about, you know, having to rotate all the time. We're talking about Tierney breaking down constantly. Thomas Partey, question marks around his fitness still. Emil Smith-Rowe as well. Is Martin Erdogan going to fit in and a, a kind of, Get up to speed quick enough. Um, you know we're going to be without Abamyang for a bit now because of the the quarantine measures. So it feels like everything is kind of working against us at the minute, and and that's why I'm a little bit sceptical or a little bit worried about finishing in the top four. I still think it's on, but I think it's going to be difficult and it's going to take a real monumental effort from this side. So. If I had to predict right now, I'm I'm going for a top six finish, Uh, but the top four is achievable and Arsenal should be aiming for that. That's got to be the goal. No doubt about that whatsoever. Uh, What else have we got here? Um, uh, Let's see what else you're saying here. A big hello to Thomas. He says, let's support Harry on the same line as he supports us. Gunas, smash that like button, Gooners. Let's go. Yes. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, Really appreciate that, man. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, What else have we got here? Um, in terms of your comments Uh Russ Morgan says he's coming on the fans phone and good. Uh, look forward to speaking to you, mate. Uh, what else have we got in terms of your, um, your comments uh graham says i think top four is possible hi harry great content press those like buttons please yes please do i love that you guys are kind of doing my job for me and encouraging the likes as well it really does help thank you uh, will lee says i think going all out for the top four is a must as next season will not be like this year we must decide our best 11 and stick with it yeah in an ideal world i think you're absolutely right i think that the 11 shouldn't change you know it should always be uh the the current 11 well, what Mikel Arteta feels is the best eleven, But unfortunately, because of the nature of this season, that's not always going to be possible. You know, like yesterday, you're without Tierney, you're without Saka. Um, You managed to get Smith-Rowe and and Partey over the line, but, you know, it's it's not the ideal team. It's not the ideal team in Mikel Arteta's eyes. Sometimes these things are just not going to be helped and we're going to have to make the changes. And I also think... As we've seen in recent weeks, there will be situations in which Mikel Arteta has to decide when someone's maybe touch and go in terms of their fitness, whether it's worth taking the risk in that particular game, looking ahead, um, you know, to to what is coming up. and And sometimes you have to do what I do, where you look at a group of games and say, right, I want that return from that group of games you know and and th- that's how you have to do it and sometimes you have to look at games and say for example if you're going to the etihad and then you've got burnley at home at the weekend i know you want to go to the etihad with the best team possible and compete but do you want to do that if it means that you're going to go into the burnley game struggling for fitness and could potentially lose out on three points that should be a given so that's um you know, that's something that managers have to consider now this season more than ever. Uh, what else have we got? The show says, I believe if the other players start hitting form, we should all go out for the top four. Yeah, uh, it's got, I keep saying it, it's got to be the aim, isn't it? It's got to be the aim. Um, 4737 Carlin says, who who would have thought after we spent 37 million for Mustafi, then let him go to Liverpool for nothing? I don't even know if he is going to Liverpool. There's been a lot of talk about that, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the case and At the end of the day, Mustafi's contract expires at the end of the season. He can go wherever he wants. It's not Arsenal letting him uh, if he signs for someone at the end of the season. Arsenal are trying to terminate his contract anyway. So if he joins them now, would it make a great deal of difference to us? I don't think so. He's not playing. Um, So, yeah. And I don't think he's going to go to Liverpool exactly and, uh, you know, solidify their title challenge. His squadron Mustafi we're talking about. Uh, Ross Morgan says, question, Leicester... Apparently want Ainsley Maitland-Niles on loan. Would you let him go there for the rest of the season? There's been a lot of talk about Maitland-Niles in the last few days. He's been linked with Southampton, West Brom, uh, and now apparently Leicester have entered the race. I wouldn't give him to Leicester because I think they're direct competitors of ours. I wouldn't let it happen. I'm I just I I'm sick of the whole, you know, put the player before the club. No, you put the team first. And, and I think that for Leicester to be interested and want an option to buy clause which is what the the rumors are saying they obviously think he can improve them in some way his versatility uh is something that that obviously brendan rogers feels is 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 something that he can add to his squad but first of all i despise brendan rogers um and i don't think that Leicester, um being direct competitors of ours should be should be taking our players on loan. I just don't like it. I know that Maitland-Nars will push for it. Um, you know, I'm sure if he uh, if he had the choice, he'd rather go to Leicester than the other clubs I've mentioned. Of course, Southampton and West Brom also in there. I'd be happy with him going to Southampton, but Leicester, no, not for me. Uh, just because of the rivalry, because of the fact that we're competing for essentially the same positions this season, I, I don't want to see us strengthening a rival. And, and that's where I'm at. Um TM says isn't switching the game to Wednesday uh the same two day break to the weekend game. Yeah, it is, but my point is that you know you're 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 opening it up so you've got a couple of days between each game. So you play if you play on Saturday, right? You play on Saturday, you've got Monday, Tuesday, um, full days to prepare. And then you've got all of Wednesday during the day to recover and you play Wednesday night. Then you've got Thursday, Friday. So you've got two days in between each game, whereas now it's Saturday, you know, Sunday. Are, are the players, do the players go into training straight after a match day? You know, it's a Sunday as well. I'm sure that the routine uh, when they're not playing on a Sunday is, is very different. I just feel like you could even out the gaps between the games to make it a little bit more manageable for, for managers and for clubs rather than, having two games crammed in a really short period of time and then you've got essentially uh, a number of days until the next game where you've got a little bit of, it just it, for me you could even out the gaps between the games and that way I think it's easier for managers to prepare and plan that that's just my opinion you know you might disagree and that's fine um but i just feel like when you're then giving them a longer break until their weekend game, why not just push that game forward and allow that a little bit more or push it back, sorry, to the Wednesday and give a little bit more recovery time and kind of even out the gaps rather than have a very short one and then a slightly longer one and then a very short one and then a slightly longer one and then a very short one and a slightly longer one and, one and, longer one and so on. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm coming from uh, on that. Yeah. Um, Zwei says, Hi, Harry. Don't understand how Martinelli gets a six when he saved us from two goals and almost assisted. Uh, as I said earlier on, mate, and, and you can catch up with the show uh, a bit later on if you've just joined us. I didn't think he impacted the game in the attacking third whatsoever. Um, and that's why I couldn't give him give him higher than that. Also, he only played a half as well. You know, he might have, it might have earned himself a better rating if he played the whole 90 minutes. But the fact he came off at halftime, for tactical reasons. Mikel Arteta said it himself, didn't he? He said, we weren't doing things too well in that position. Yes, he made some defensive contributions, but ultimately he's on the pitch to affect the game at the other end. And he didn't really do that. So it might seem harsh to some people, but that's where I'm at in terms of uh, the player ratings. Anyway, I look forward to hearing more of your thoughts in the comments. Don't forget, if you're listening via the audio platforms, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, It is so, so important. Um, In terms of our likes, where are we at? Have we hit uh, the 100? Yes, we've hit the 100. Let's get it to 120 before we log off. Come on, let's do it. By the time the outro plays, let's get that in. Uh, Big thank you to everybody who joined me. Don't forget, if you want to join the fans, phone in tonight, uh, make sure you DM me. Uh, at Chronicles underscore AFC on Twitter. I'll put that tweet out in just a little bit. Until then, take care of yourselves and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of aguna the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.